Welcome to the Saving Grace Adventist Church Sermon Podcast. We pray that you will be blessed by the Word of God. About a month from now, I will have my 69th birthday. And it's just recently that I discovered that I really understood what I really wanted to be when I grew up. I have tried many things in life. I have had many lives, so to speak. At one time, I was an offset printer. At another time, I was a preschool teacher. At another time, I was a middle school teacher. In one of my lives, I was in nursing school. I was a pastor for a while, but now I really know what I really want to do and what I would really love to become is a good storyteller, a good storyteller. I guess my attraction to stories has a lot to do with reading the Bible a lot. And um, there is something about stories that when properly told, it holds you forever. But there are some people who, for some reason or another, tend to misunderstand a lot of narratives. Now, what is this here? A wallet. Now let me ask you something. What do you think is most valuable to me? The wallet or what it contains? Huh? What it contains, that's right. But there are people who would take a lot of time to examine the wallet. It's a black wallet. It's leather, or it's plastic, or it has zips, or it has that. And they take a lot of time examining the wallet rather than the contents. And that's what I think happens a lot with stories that are told in the Bible. People do not understand that the purpose of the story is to carry a message. And you can get a lot of details from the package and forget the contents of the package. So this morning, I want you to follow the story of Exodus with me and see if you can see why I have given it the topic, the unfinished Exodus. Exodus that's not finished. No, Lord, as we open your word, we ask for the guidance of your spirit, both on the speakers and the hearers. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, now, the, the Bible, the first five books of the Bible, they are called the books of Moses or the Pentateuch. 
Some people include the book of Joshua and call it the Hexateuch. And we call it the book of Moses. And people, there are some people who, because it is called the book of Moses, actually believe that Moses wrote, wrote the books. Now, you can see for yourself, you know for yourself, that Moses could not have written it. Because when you read the end of the book of Deuteronomy, it says some things here, and let me just read it for you. Deuteronomy chapter 34, and it says, And Moses went up from the plains of Moab unto the mountain of Nebo to the top of Pisgah that is over against Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead unto Dan. Verse 5, so Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab, over against Beth Peor. But no man knoweth of his sepulcher until this day. Now, how could Moses write that about his own death? Are you following what I'm saying? So we know that. It could not have been Moses who wrote that. We know, though, that we, we, we can conclude from much study that the books which we call the Pentateuch were probably gathered together sometime after the second deportation, which would be about 596 BC which would mean that the person most likely to have written that or brought all of the sources together would have been Ezra. That's who most people believe brought all the sources together. So whoever this person is wanted to give a message to his people. Now take the word people. What is it that makes a people? What makes a people is the fact that they share a common history. It's an aggregation of individuals who share a common experience. That's a people. When you go to Publix and you see all those persons gathered in Publix, that's not a people, that's a crowd or a population. A people are someones who have shared a common experience. Are you with me? So then, when we look at people who are heavily melanated, we know that whether they are recent immigrants from Africa, whether they have never been to Africa, or their ancestors have been away from Africa for hundreds of years, they all share the common experience that their ancestors had something to do with the Atlantic slave trade. It gets me sometimes when people from the Caribbean say quite proudly yet ignorantly, we are not African Americans. One of the things you do not understand America stretches from Alaska to Tierra del Fugo. You have North America, Central America, 
Inter-America and South America. They are all Americans. And not identifying yourself with those among whom you dwell in many times work to your deficit. But that's another story. So the book of Exodus, the writer wanted to see. Now here is a story he's saying that it's very important for our people to know and for our children to remember. So I want you to look with me very carefully now at the storyteller's craft, understanding what he had in mind. A people with a common history, a people who had children that they wanted to remember the story, and a people with a question mark. So the storyteller begins by describing to us the setting. The setting is Egypt. Egypt started out being the place where the ancestors went to get sustenance when their food supply diminished. The book starts by naming the ancestors who were there. Let us look at it very carefully. Exodus chapter 1. And you see it starts out with a bunch of names. These are the names of the children of Israel which came into Egypt. And it gave all the names, saying that Joseph was already there. And then it switched. It switched from naming the people to very rapidly talking about a nameless set of people. It started talking about the nation. He says about Egypt that Egypt was this place of paralysis for those who went down there. It's a place of constriction. He describes a lot of death which took place there. Some of the big players in Egypt. There was this Pharaoh. The Pharaoh was painted as a man who had some social, psychological, and political problems with all these immigrants. For Pharaoh, it was too late to build fences to keep these immigrants out of Egypt. So he implemented a policy of infanticide. Kill all the baby boys at birth. Let me say here parenthetically that policies do not have to be announced to be implemented. By the end of 2005, the Bureau of Justice released data which says there were 3,042 black male prisoners for every 100,000 black males in the United States compared to 487 white male prisoners per 100,000 white males. Policies do not have to be announced to be implemented. For the baby boomers, 1.2% of white men 
were imprisoned by 2004, 2004 compared with 9% of black men. Out of those born in the 1970s, 3.3% of white men and 20.7% of black men have been in prison. I say again, policies do not have to be announced to be implemented. Well, what else does the storyteller tell us? Within just two generations, these people lost their distinctiveness. They lost their names. They lost their sense of purpose. They assimilated with the culture around. The King James Version said that they multiplied greatly. The Hebrew word is vayishretzu. Say that for me. Vayishretzu. Come again. Vayishretzu. Come on. Vayishretzu. All right. The word vayishretzu means that they swarmed. They swarmed. It's a word that connotes reptilian fecundity. This is a bizarre description of human fertility. What we have here is the note that after the ancestors died, the people lost their sense of purpose. They, their passion to conform to their immediate surroundings backfired against them. The swarming became a symbol of their alienation from their deepest ideals. It is not possible to remain a deeply spiritual person, one whose objective is to demonstrate the pro prophetic dictum. Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servants whom I have chosen, and simultaneously become an assimilationist of the first order. You cannot do both at the same time. Jesus says you cannot serve God and mammon. You see, while it may be important to do a degree of acculturation when we are strangers in a strange land, we must never forget the process of inculturation. Inculturation is the process where we live, celebrate, express, and communicate our own faith in whatever environment we are. If the people had been responsible for their spiritual mission, Pharaoh would never have seen them as a threat to his power. But even though Joseph and his people died, our God did not die. God makes it his business to try and save us. Even in Egypt, God had his representatives. I remember when I was growing up, we used to read the youth instructor and the junior guide, and they would tell us, you can't go to the movies for when you go there. The angels are left outside, and you're in their bodies. And all they're trying to do is to scare us. That's because we believed it because we didn't read the Bible ourselves. But David says, even if I make my bed in hell, go out there. 
There is no time or no place where God leaves us to ourselves. He is always trying to pull us wherever we are. But while these people were in Egypt, God sent somebody, I believe it must have been Aaron, to try and say to them, and you will read this in Ezekiel chapter 20, beginning with verse 6, to try and say to them, cast ye away every man the abominations of his eyes. Defile not yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Verse 8, but they rebelled against me and would not hearken unto me. They did not every man cast away the abomination of their eyes, neither did they forsake the idols of Egypt. God is pleading with them, and they won't hear him. Therefore God said, I will pour out my fury upon them to accomplish mine anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. Uh, you know, Ezekiel is recounting this now. Ezekiel was the prophet of the exile. The people had been accustomed to worshiping in a temple. The people had been taken away now to Babylon. There was no temple. So they, their methods of worship was gone. Ezekiel was the one who started the notion of building up a synagogue from where we get the idea today of local churches. Ezekiel was the one who started that. And he is saying to the people, you don't have a temple, but you can come together and still study the word of God. That's what Ezekiel was saying. But what was the people's response? The people's response. You know, even when God called Ezekiel, it was a joke to me. God said, Ezekiel, you're all here now in exile. I want you to talk to the people about being faithful to God. I am not sending you to anybody where you have to learn a new language. You have to know the language of the people, and so you know these people. But I tell you something about your people. They are stiff-necked and hard-hearted. And I want you to go and preach to them. But even before you go, let me tell you something, Ezekiel. The people are not going to listen to you. <laughs> now, what a job is that? God sending you on a job and expressing its futility. The people are going to listen to you. And God was right. Because what Ezekiel said, the people, they come unto thee as people cometh. They sit before thee as my people. They hear our words, but will not do them. With their mouth, they show much love, but their heart goes after covetousness. And lo, thou art unto them as a very lovely song of one that hath a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear thy words, but they do them not. It's not much different from us today. How often do you hear, I'm going to go to hear this person preach because he's a good speaker. He sings well, you see. You go for that entertainment element. They hear the word, but they do it not. 
they do it not. And sometimes you have to understand about us who we call Adventists, you know. Somebody says, you can always tell an Adventist, but you can't tell them much. You know? And you know why? The reason is, we have the truth. We have the truth. That's what you think. Now, how many of you have ever lost your keys? Let me see your hand. You ever lost your, you lost your keys. What's the first thing you do after you find them? You stop looking. That's the first thing you do. You stop looking. Now, so when you think you have the truth, <laughs> what's the first thing you're going to do? You're not looking for it because you got it. Huh? You got it. And that's one of the tragedies we have. When we think we know everything, we lose our curiosity. We lose our vision. We lose that insatiable thirst that God has put into us that we must seek him. Seek. You see, you, 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 you cannot be satisfied with how somebody else sought and found God and think that's what you ought to do. You ought to do your own seeking after God. So, God's still trying to save the people. Oh boy. It's eight minutes to one. I am very conscious. I am very conscious that as it is, many times, the mind cannot absorb more than the seat can endure. <laughs> so I will have to truncate what I have to say and uh, try and get out of here at a good time. And when I say a good time, I'm talking about no later than 10 after 1. I'm aiming for that. So let me see if I can go on bionic time and make that. Now, what happened here is that um, Pharaoh had his way of looking at the people. He said to the midwives, if you see a boy being born, what you should do? Kill him. Here is something which is quite critical. The midwives said, the scripture says, the storyteller tells us that the midwives did not obey Pharaoh because they feared God. They feared God. You see, beloved, here is one of the very, very first instances where we find it as official policy for people's life expectancies to be based upon gender differences. There is much evidence today 
that there are many people here who have also lost the fear of God in their lives. I think I stand on fairly strong biblical ground when I say that any organization, individual, philosophy, or institution which limits the life possibilities of anyone based upon gender distinctions have lost the fear of God. All too often I hear people talking about the man is to be the head of the house. If you heard that, put up your hands. All right, tighten your seatbelts now because we're going in a different direction. There is this word in the Bible, R.K. R.K. is the head, the ruler, R.K. The R.K. is from the R.K. we get the notion of archetype. The archetype is the highest possible. Prior to that, we had the prototype. The prototype is the first effort at achieving something. The archetype is the final point. Are you following me? RK. You do not argue with the RK. The RK is God. That's the final. There is this other word, though, kefale. Say that word. Kefale really means like the scout. And when Ephesians says the man is the head of the home, he doesn't use RK, he uses kefale. And what Kefale talks about, what the scout is, somebody going out, you're going on a trip, and you have the scout out in front of you, so if any snakes are going to be there, the scout get bitten. If any lion is coming at you, anything is coming at you, the scout gets it first. Okay, that's the Kefale. The Kefale is that person. The Kefale don't mean that you don't argue with the scout. You don't argue with the RK. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, it's the people who have to tell the kefale what direction they're moving in. But that's another story. <laughs> we'll get there another time. I think I should begin to hide now. I see some men getting ready to pick up the rocks. But we'll move on. Then the story gets to Moses. The story gets to Moses. It begins. And there went a man of the house of Levi and took a wife, a daughter of Levi. Look at this. A nameless man took a nameless woman. Here begins a break. This man did not do as Joseph did. Joseph married Asneth, the Egyptian woman. On his deathbed, he came to his senses and asked that his bones be taken out of Egypt when he left. Then this man and this woman had a child. And the scriptures say that they saw their son as a goodly child. When we see our children as goodly children, we will make all kinds of arcs for them. The trouble is that we need to see all of our children as goodly children. 
even when children behave in ways that makes us cry, they are still goodly children. In the culture of death, you see, you have the attitude, I tell you the way to go, and if you don't do it, if you go in jail, don't call me. But Isaiah tells us, when we see ourselves as goodly children, we will never hide ourselves from our own flesh. It takes a special way to get that type of vision, you see. But that's another story. The Bible says that Moses, when he was grown, the word used for grown is gadol, G-A-D-O-L, gadol. It means to come to an end of a particular stage of development, to become capable of confronting new experiences, new experiences. So here was Moses, raised in the palace of Pharaoh. He exposes himself to the plight of the people. What did he see as he was exposing himself to this new experience? Is he going to see as Pharaoh saw, or is he going to see differently? The scriptures say he saw an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew. Now, it's interesting here again. What he saw was an Egyptian Bayak, a Hebrew. And he took it upon himself to give the Egyptian a taste of his own justice. The scriptures also said he also Bayak, the Egyptian. The same word is used in both places. But what happened? The Egyptian died. It seems as if the force with which Moses hit the Egyptian far exceeded the force with which the Egyptian hit the Hebrew. And how telling it is that when people who are raised a certain way set out to do wrong, they do it much more than the people we call the people of the world. Yeah? And so you just don't go and take a drink of a red stripe. You have to have the whole six pack. Huh? You understand what I'm saying? You just go and do it a little extra to show that you're not there. It's like this man at the racetrack and he wasn't supposed to be there on Sabbath. And the horse is going on and the people are saying, go, go, go. And he's saying, hallelujah, hallelujah. <laughs> you know, just in the wrong place, but he's trying to do more than everybody else asking God. All right. Now, again, the scene shifts. The scene shifts. Two Hebrews are fighting now. Moses goes and asks, your brothers. And what was said? Are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? And what did Moses say? Ah, this thing is known. 
Now what happens here? Moses came to realize that he was in the midst of his people. His own brothers were not really ready or fit for redemption. The very people he tried to help reported him to the master. This is what Paulo Freire says in the pedagogy of the oppressed. Oppressed people actually fear their freedom. They know that when the master is excited, they get more oppressive. So it should not surprise you when highly successful and very visible Seventh-day Adventists should strongly support the interests of the dominant class. They have learned over the years that protecting the master is protecting their interests, even if it means a net loss for the rest of the people. What Moses had to learn is that oppressed behavior is prescribed. Since it follows the guidelines of the oppressor, it transforms the consciousness of the man prescribed into one that conforms to the prescriber's consciousness. It gives the oppressed the illusion of independent action because all of his action is through the will of the consciousness of the oppressor. The oppressed become host to the oppressor's value. Let me see if I can explain what I'm talking about to you. Do you know what power is? Power is my ability to get you to do what I want you to do and have you believe that you're doing it because that's what you want to do. You have become domesticated. We become hosts to the oppressor's values. Black people are 13% of this country. We buy 40% of luxury cars. Spend over $200 million a year on sneakers. Over $800 million a year on beer. We are hosts to the oppressor's values. <laughs> you see, I, 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 I can say something. I, I probably need to say it. Let me look over here where my wife's not looking at me. You see, what happens is this sometimes. Our sisters sometimes forget that we are African people. African people have kinky hair. <laughs> That's how the Lord made us. The Lord did not make us with long weaves down to our behinds. We become hosts to the oppressor's values. Don't tell me it's easier to look after and all of that stuff. I've heard all of those stories. But you see, it's what happens when you are domesticated. The Discovery Channel showed a picture of the training of a sheepdog. And what happens when the bitch has the letter and bitch is the real name for the dog? You take 
the young puppy right away and put it among the sheep. You give it sheep's milk. You get it to develop and grow among the sheep, ingesting the smell and the DNA of the sheep. So much so that when it's grown, if its own mother should come around the sheep, it would attack it. See, that's how sheep dogs are trained. Domestication. Well, there are a lot of things we could say, but that's another story. I got, I got five more minutes. And, and realizing I said I want to stop at 10 after 1. And it's now seven minutes after 1. I think I'm going to take five minutes, but it's going to be prophetic time. <laughs> when God sent Aaron, I think it was to tell the people, he said, the Bible says they, he rebelled against them. And God said, I'm going to pour my fury upon them. The fury of God has an effect, you know. What was the difference? What do we find out? Um, the Bible says that Pharaoh died. And it is quite natural, you know, that sometimes you do not understand the pressure that you're under until the pressure lets up for just a little bit. So when Pharaoh died, I imagined that they had then a time of mourning for the Pharaoh. But it was at this time that the Bible says the people started to groan and cried and their shriek for help rose up to God. You see, what was happening before? Because they were so acculturated. They could get used to working three, four, and five jobs and double shifts and think that it was okay. But when they got a little break and they start bawling out now, they just weren't crying, Lord, it's hard. But ah, they bawled from their gut. You see? And when they start bawling out to God, the scriptures said God heard, God remembered, God saw and God knew. What was it that was preventing God from hearing all along? You see, God placed in us at creation his image and to suffer grinding selfless labor, to do any form of cooperation with that which tarnishes the image of God in us. The Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So you have to understand that when you are cooperating with issues which tend to deface the character of God in your life, that is your sin. You're not hearing me. Now let me see if I can say it a little better. I know not this church. The name of this church is Saving Grace. So we don't have these problems I'm going to refer to. 
in saving grace. I went to see a woman in Hallandale and she had a big black eye. I said, what happened? You fell down or something? She said, no, you know, it was my husband. I said, what do you mean your husband? And these were his words, her words. Well, you know, he was disciplining me. That's what she said. And I'm saying to you that whenever you put up with stuff like that, you are tarnishing the image of God in your life. And cooperation with behavior like that is a sin against God. Now, here's the other part. My father, my parents, the only form of discipline they knew was corporal punishment. I don't know if they wanted me to be forward thinking so they tried to whip me into next week or they did not like the tan on my body that they tried to get it off. But that's all they did. And they would quote scripture, spear not the rod and spoil the child. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child but the rod of correction would drive it far from them. My only problem is when people who take that posture is why don't you believe all of the Bible? Why are you only believing that one section? Because the Bible also says if your child is disobedient, talk to him. If he don't hear you, take him to the elders and talk, have the elders talk to him. And if you don't hear the elders, take him in the valley and stone him with stones until he's dead. Why don't you believe that part of the Bible? The Bible also says, the Bible also says, come, let us reason together. So what's wrong with trying to reason with kids? And we think, we do not understand that our philosophy of corporal punishment is a false theology which justifies violence against children. That's another story, but we'll move on. So, he was out there now. God is trying now to rediscover. God is trying to help Moses to understand that God is rediscovering him. God is trying to say to Moses, you ran away to the backside of Midian and you think you are away, but I, I still have my eyes on you. And Moses was out there and he looked up and the scriptures say, he saw a bush, a bush burning, but not consumed. Amen. Now, the fire in the bush, the fire had a double significance. Number one, 
The fire indicated the God who said, I am a consuming fire. The fire also indicated the violent oppression, the burning slavery that the people of God were under. The fire symbolized two things at once. Now, it's interesting how the storyteller tells the story. He says he saw a bush burning, but not consumed. A little bramble bush. The, the scriptures did not say it was a mighty oak or a giant mahogany tree. It was just the bramble bush. The bramble bush. Now, what is the storyteller trying to tell us? When Moses got near to this bramble bush that was burning and not consumed, God stopped him. Draw not high either. Put off thy shoes from off your feet. For the place where you are standing is holy ground. What was the holy ground? You see, beloved, and you dig up the story. Whenever you find a people who have been oppressed and persecuted, but still survive, the presence of God is in the midst of them. And when you are with those people, you are on holy ground. You need to understand that. The people you see weighted down by the affairs of life, but still carrying on. You're on holy ground when you see that. Something within them is holding the reins. Something within them they cannot explain. That something within them is the spirit of God telling everybody else, you're on holy ground. Now, here is the problem. The people hear. But they don't do. Now, information is something else, you know. I think it should have two basic purposes. It can be additive. And so a lot of times in Black History Month, you hear people say, did you know this? Did you know this? Did you know? Did you know? Did you know? Did you know? And we go over, did you know? Did you know all the things that black people did? And at the end of the day, you say the same way. That's additive information. Information can also be transformative. New information can transform your perspectives. New information should get you to behave in a different way. And so when God said to Moses, now I want you to go back and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. We might need a Moses today to tell the people, let Pharaoh go. 
Because we are holding on to Pharaoh. We are holding on to the little things we have and think that this is life eternal. You see, I said we must be transformed. Now, what was the process of the transformation of Moses? He said, God, look, 40 years ago, I tried to initiate an exodus from Egypt. But the people, they didn't hear me. They didn't want to. How, how will I know that it's really you that's sending? How do I know that all of this is not a mirage? The answer of God was significant. God said, you will only know that it is I, God, sending you when you have done what I have told you to do and you come back to this place. We can only know that God is really with us when we truly obey him. You see, that's when you know. Now, Here's the problem for us. Here's the problem for us. Knowing God's will? Yeah. We say we know it. But when God wanted to give Moses this new revelation of himself, Moses discovered that the path to this new revelation of God was through obedience to God. Jesus comes along and was having basically the same issue with people's relationship to the bramble bush. Jesus says in Luke 4, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he hath anointed me to do what? Preach the gospel to the poor. A lot of us put a period at the gospel. It's not preach the gospel, it's preach the gospel to the poor. Our mission is still to the bramble bush. But the people who follow that mission are people who follow Jesus. Now, you need to understand me now. I tell people all the time, I, I'm not a Christian. I'm not a Christian. I follow Jesus. If George Bush is a Christian, I don't want that. <laughs> I'm a follower of Jesus. But what did Jesus say? If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up the cross, and follow me. But you know something? The only people who take up the cross are those who understand that they're going to end up on it. 
Don't think you're going to take up the cross and don't end up on it. See? Now, how different is this from our regular theology? We talk about the time of trouble is coming when we're going to have to run through the mountains. Now, what, what, what are Adventists doing now that's going to cause any time of trouble? What are we doing as causing any time of trouble? Where we're trying to advertise ourselves as your friends, the Adventists. How different is it from what happened with the people in Egypt? They tried to assimilate and they were full of their assimilation and forgot. Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord and my servants whom I have chosen. So my dear brothers and sisters of saving grace, our challenge this morning, uh, are you going to be a very good Christian or one who follows Jesus? Thank you for listening to today's message. We are always encouraged to know how God is working through this ministry to touch lives. If you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email at podcast at savinggracesda.org. As the Holy Spirit impresses you, you may also support this ministry financially by visiting savinggracesda.org.